Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey kids, uh, happy Wednesday to you. I hope uh, I hope you're good. Welcome to the show. I am me, you are you, you know who you are. Uh, welcome, we are an all-inclusive program. Everybody's welcome here. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 Territory. A, a big show for us from the standpoint that um, our guest is making his final appearance of the 22-23 hockey season. We will, of course, get into deep negotiations almost immediately to see if we can extend him into the next season. But you never know. These negotiations, this is a crazy offseason. That's all I'll say. It's been a crazy offseason so far. Um, <clears throat> we'll qualify some of, uh, it feels like we almost have to have a little conversation, you and I, again. I go back to the first show that we did in this, this new genre of podcasting um, way back in February. We talked about it. We were open about it. I'm still getting my feet wet. I'm still coming back into the business a bit. I've been out of it, was out of it. Um, Some of it I'm still a little fuzzy on. I got to be honest with you. Uh, Some of these uh, kids that are getting signed, I'm I'm like, I've never heard of him, but he's getting three years and $9 million. So he's clearly somebody. Uh, There's a little bit of that. But also I I would suggest to you that as we go through this exercise, um, admittedly, admittedly, um, I have a, a, a... a horse in the race uh you know craig conroy and i have a you know a long friendship and i i like the guy i'm pulling for the guy i i'm rooting for the guy and i think sometimes that can make my observations a little bit clouded but as long as you understand that as long as you know where i'm coming from i don't need anybody singing from my hymn book as a matter of fact i hate it when people sing from my hymn book all i want to do is kind of get you thinking on your own and stuff so Sometimes it's going to seem like I might go a little easy on the GM or, or I might be taking a different tack. It is what it is. Uh, my hope is that, you, you know, you've got enough media literacy. I think we all have enough media literacy to know when somebody's uh, pulling for somebody, when somebody's bringing the hard truth. Uh, that, is my descri- that is my disclaimer before my description of, of uh, the general manager's first couple of weeks, which have been um, non-theatrical. Uh, what did I write down? I, I wrote down quiet, <clears throat> very quiet. Um, you know, we'll get to the Matty Phillips signing in Washington. I know I've talked a lot about him here. Um, theatrically, it would have made a, a great splash if you came back in and you offered the kid, uh, you know, a two-year one-way deal, local kid. Uh, there's all kinds of theatrics that can be brought to bear in this game. But uh, this administration has chose not to do that. It has been a quiet administration, uh, rightfully so. They don't have a lot of money, so they didn't spend a lot of money. 
Um, but I would suspect that there's a lot of people. And I, listen, I you saw it on 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 Barnburner. Um, you know, was it a mistake not to make trades at, at the at the draft? Sure. Okay. What trades were there to make? Um, if you're, you know, you saw the instant reaction to the Toffoli trade about how everybody thought that, you know, the, the Conroy got fleeced. And then over time, I think people began to recognize it for what it was. Uh, if there's no good trade to make, don't make the trade. That's what I suspect. Having said that, right now, new GM, new coach, not much else. Uh, a couple of omissions, but not much else rolling into the 23-24 season but still lots of time between now and then. Let's jump in with uh, both feet. Our guests, of course, are brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. Skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary, four wintertime locations. Right now, those locations are closed, but they'll open up soon enough. But if you need something, you can always go online at skisellersnowboard.com. We welcome in the Hall of Famer, our uh, Flames and NHL insider, Peter Marge, is kind enough to join us here in, in July. I'm not sure that you and I have ever had too many conversations, hockey conversations, Pete, this late into July. Normally, the season is wrapped up and we've all gone home by now. You're right. And you know what's interesting? Usually by July the 5th, after you've gone through the draft and the free agent frenzy, uh, the coach of the Calgary Flames could uh, have the whiteboard in his office and have his potential lines that he's thinking about putting together, defense pairings and all that sort of thing. But when you look at where the Flames are at right now, um, the whiteboard, uh, to me is nothing on it, but white. And, uh, that will change as time goes along. And then Craig Conroy certainly has, uh, a lot of work to do before the, uh, next season gets going. But, uh, to your point, they're a team right now that doesn't have any, uh, cap room to speak of. And, uh, they've got some players that they have to move. And, um, you know, when you look at, uh, six players really that have contracts that are going into their final season with the team, and Craig made it very clear when he was hired that uh, they wouldn't have another uh, Johnny Goudreau situation like last year where Johnny moved on and they didn't get anything for him. So, um, you know, the time is time is going on. And uh, the general managers, even though, uh, you know, the free agency frenzy is over, there's still signings that are trickling in every day. And general managers still making calls with regard to trades and that sort of thing. So I think we're going to see some more action before uh, too very long. And I think in the case of uh, the Flames, um, the sooner they can make or find out whether or not the players like Lindholm and Backland uh, are willing to stay here on longer extended contracts, um, they need to make some moves. Uh, uh, these guys um, don't like the deals that are being offered or don't want to sign uh, to extended contracts. You hear all kinds of rumbles out there that uh, Lindholm is uh, being offered an eight-year contract somewhere in the range of nine to ten million per season. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, right. but uh, that is uh, out there. Uh, Michael Backlund, the guy who's played his entire career uh, with the Flames, uh, rumbles out there that he's been offered the captaincy of the team with a contract extension. Again, we don't know if that is uh, factual or not, but uh, it is being discussed, but, um, you know, they need to find out fairly soon here about those guys because uh, time is time is a factor. There's no two ways about it, in, in my uh, my opinion. When you uh, look at it, uh, they, may have, they may have lost uh, some good returns right now since free agency frenzy had a lot of players that uh, that were available that were taken by teams at positions that those two guys play for. So it may have eliminated a team or three uh, from uh, the mix to uh, want to make a trade. 
for uh, those players. And to me, uh, if you wait until the start of the season uh, to make those deals, if uh, you know they they not haven't signed uh, long term extensions here, then uh, you um, uh, run into a situation where they could have an injury, and then that really really uh, affects the situation. And if you uh, continue to uh, go on, the player might not have a, a good season or as good a season at the start as he's had in the past, and that again. Uh, reduces the value you can get in in, in a uh, return, and uh, you know people say, well, you know, why don't you wait till the trade deadline when other teams are looking for things and it doesn't affect their salary cap that much? Well, the problem with that is that uh, when you wait to the the deadline, those two other factors that I mentioned uh, enter into that. Also, the the players then are going to the new team if you can make a deal for rentals, and mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to get as much return for them as you would right now. And, um, you know, you also uh, run the risk if your team is off, the Flames are off, having a pretty good season and have themselves in a playoff position. And then you make some moves at the deadline. Uh, you really disrupt the chemistry of the, of the team. So yeah. there's a lot of things that uh, are at play right now, particularly with Lindholm and Backlund. And also, uh, you know, Hannafin out there apparently has told them he wants to move on. And so uh, I'm sure they're looking very deeply into uh, trying to make a move there for him. And, uh, you know, you have Tanev and Dubé also are guys in that type of uh, situation. But the, the prime guys to me are Hannafin, uh, Lindholm, and, and Backlund. And so uh, the sooner the better. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Craig Conroy, one of the issues here is, and I found this in the past, is that when you have a, uh, a general manager in his rookie season in the NHL, sometimes they're a little bit hesitant to make mistakes or make a trade So because they're uh, worrying about making a mistake. So sometimes they're hesitant in making that deal and, and uh, wait a little uh, little longer just to see if there's something better comes along. So that could be one of the factors here with, with Craig Conroy, since uh, although he was an assistant GM for the Flames for about 10 years, this is the first time at the helm as a GM of, a, of an NHL team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Although the Toffoli trade you know, was consummated before the draft and, and it kind of left us all with the belief, well, okay, now the dam's about to break. How much of this is a local story, Pete, but how much of this is actually an NHL story? Because there was nowhere near the activity that many had predicted. I, I you know, not to point fingers, but Winnipeg had a lot to do. Um, you know, they bought out uh, Wheeler and they did trade, uh, you know, but they still have Hellebuck and they still have Shifley. The, the, and we also saw players like Tyler Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi take very little for a one-year deal because there wasn't a lot of money out there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, Winnipeg has a lot of work to do, as you mentioned. And uh, when you look at the uh, situation uh, at the uh, the trade, at the uh, draft, this was the first time since 2007 that there was not a trade in the first round of the NHL draft, which, you know, uh, Usually there are and all the talk that was going on, going yeah. into it, and all the uh, the networks were, uh, you know, advertising that's going to be a tremendous day for deals and all that sort of thing. And as it turned out, the first round, there were no deals at all. There were some later on, but nothing with the impact that was anticipated uh, going into that. So um, it, it definitely was a surprise there. And so I think there's still a lot of deals that are going to be made as it as it goes along here. And, um, and uh, but the free agency... You know, a lot of players, have, as I mentioned earlier, have signed on with teams and have, uh, you know, filled the holes that they needed in their various rosters, the teams that signed them. And, you know, money is, is sparse when it comes to a salary cap situation with the cap going up only one million or so mm-hmm. for uh, this, this coming year. It's going to be more than that. It's anticipated after the season. 
But, um, it, you know, I think we're going to have a summer that's uh, very, very uh, lively uh, with regard to uh, deals, and not only with the Flames and Winnipeg, but some other teams as well. And you mentioned the Tyler Toffoli trade. To me, uh, when you when you look at it, they returned the Flames got there a year ago. Sharon Govich is a guy that, um, that uh, to me, is a pretty good return, considering the situation. As, mm-hmm. as we understand it, uh, Craig Conroy made a preference of wanting to sign uh, Lindholm and Backlund. And when Toffoli heard that, he went back to the Flames and said, okay, move me. And that's what they did. And in that kind of situation, to me, they got a pretty good return, getting a 25-year-old uh, player that can play center or he can play either wing. Uh, he had a bit of a down year last year playing with uh, New Jersey. Uh, but uh, he's, um, you know, he's a guy that had a pretty good year the year before. And uh, when he uh, when he had uh, 24 goals and 46 points and 76 games played. So he's a guy that, to me, is, is a versatile enough that he could be uh, a second line player for the for the Flames at coming into this uh, current season. He signed a new deal here with Calgary, signing him for two years at uh, annual uh, uh, figure of three point one million. And to me, that uh, that brought down their uh, their room underneath the, under the salary cap to uh, to help in a little bit there. Although they're still really in, in salary cap jail, as uh, mm-hmm. some general managers are wont to say. So. Uh, to me, they got a pretty good return in that deal for Toffoli, uh, considering everything. Yeah, I, I, I know initially it, it wasn't a household name, and I think you know when you're trading your leading scorer away, you know you're expecting some something bigger. Um, having said that, he was your leading scorer because other things didn't work. So I, I think there was a, a little bit of a lost leader there. I, I'd be surprised, Pete, to be perfectly honest, if he's in New Jersey next year. And that's not a knock against Tyler Toffoli. That's just the, the situation the Devils find themselves in with so many good young players that are going to need contracts. I think they they brought him in to just get them over that playoff hump right now. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you totally on that. And for, for uh, Toffoli's situation, uh, next year with the salary cap going up, now he's going to be another year older, so... I don't think he's going to be able to get himself a long-term seven-year contract or anything like that, but he could do pretty well on a, say, a three-year deal yeah. uh, with the salary cap going up and uh, and the team's looking for a guy uh, like Toffoli. Not only does he uh, bring outstanding play to a team, but he's also a pretty good character guy and helpful for younger players on a team, and I think he'll be helpful with the younger players in New Jersey coming up this season, and the Devils look like they've got a, a very good team uh, that's going to be a very, uh, very strong in contention for the uh, for the cup uh, next next year. And uh, Toffoli can only help himself bargaining position as an unrestricted free agent after this uh, coming season. You know, Pete, it w- wasn't the only player that the Flames to get said goodbye to. They said goodbye to a couple of popular players for different reasons. Milan Lucic, you know, his his reputation precedes him in the league. He goes home to Boston, but also Matt Phillips, um, who. You know, we talked endlessly on this program, never got the opportunity, but his former head coach, now an assistant coach in Washington, and he gets a one-year, one-way deal there. Nobody can blame the uh, the kid from Cochrane for taking that. No, definitely not. It's unfortunate that Matthew Phillips, uh, being a local guy, as you mentioned there, Rob, didn't have more of a chance to play uh, with the, with his hometown team. Uh, you know, he only got to play uh, a game last year. And uh, that had a lot to do with Daryl being the coach and Daryl not being a guy that's big on smaller players or younger players and that, that type of thing. Um, but he's a guy that had two outstanding seasons uh, in the American Hockey League the last two years and uh, certainly deserved a bit more of a shot at uh, playing uh, with the uh, the Flames. But that didn't materialize. And I think when he made the decision 
uh, to go to Washington. The fact that uh, Mitch Love had moved there as an assistant coach who had been the head coach of the uh, Wranglers in which uh, he had played with for the last couple of uh, seasons uh, was a big, big factor in him going there. And of course, a one-way uh, contract. So if he goes to the minors, then he still gets the uh, NHL salary. And uh, apparently he's a big fan of Ovechkin. So maybe somewhere along the way, he gets a chance to play with Ovechkin and uh, see what he can do. So you certainly wish him all the very best as he uh, moves on. And, uh, you know, he would have had a pretty good shot, I think, of uh, being a member of the Flames this year, given the fact that uh, Craig Conroy made it pretty clear they're going to go with a younger roster than they have in the past uh, couple of seasons in particular. And, of course, Milan uh, Lucic, a popular guy here in uh, Calgary, is uh, the fans, every time he touched the puck, would yell out his name uh, in the uh, in the Saddledome. He was also a, uh, a guy who um, adds a lot of, lot of muscle to a team and that also helps guys uh, on the team that are, you know, that are not guys that get involved in the heavy, heavy going. So he was a good protection guy there. We understand he was a really good, popular guy uh, within the dressing room of the uh, of the Flames. But um, you know, the Flames, as we say, they're going to have a younger team. So keeping Lucic on didn't really make a whole lot of uh, sense. And uh, they told he they told him that early on and allowed him to have uh, a conversation with other teams earlier on before uh, January the first, and uh, he he got the deal to go play with uh, the Bruins for uh, for the next uh, season and of course uh, he was part of the Bruins team that won the Stanley Cup in uh, 2011 so he goes back to a team that uh, he helped win a championship and also had a number of years there uh, with that team. I, I thought though it was interesting some of the comments that he made in uh, departing here over the last couple of days uh, regarding Daryl Sutter. There's been a lot of uh, conversation, of course, about Daryl as uh, that's been in the headlines for the last uh, couple of months and brought about a whole bunch of change. But it was interesting that uh, Milan Lucic said that uh, that Sutter was the best and smartest coach that he's ever played for. He said that the way that he uh, would break down uh, a game and then the way that he brought it out to the uh, players, brought it forward to them, as describing the style that he wanted and all that sort of thing, he said he'd never seen uh, a better coach do it better than that in his entire career. And that goes back, Rob, to something I mentioned earlier uh, this year on the uh, podcast here, uh, the Scotty Bowman had mentioned to me a number of years ago about Daryl Sutter uh, during one of the games in, in Tampa. He, he came to me and uh, we were having a chat and Scotty said to me at the time, he said, you know, your coach and we meant Daryl Sutter, he is, uh, he is the best coach in the NHL for making strategy changes very quickly, understanding them, noticing them, and making the strategy changes quickly, and uh, that has led to a success. So uh, it was very uh, nice words coming from Lucic to back up that comment that Scotty had made. However, he did also mention that uh, Daryl was a little bit, this is not Scotty, but this is Lucic, <laughs> also mentioning that was Daryl's a little bit old school in, in the manner in which he uh, went about uh, with the uh, players. But he still called it the... Um, the um, Greatest experience of his, uh, he had a great experience uh, playing for Daryl Sutter. So uh, now he goes on to Boston and we'll see uh, what happens there as he tries to get himself a second Stanley Cup. That is part of the the legacy of Daryl. Even, you know, you go all the way back to 2003, 2004. There were some players that, that loved him, Pete, and there was other people that didn't. But uh, everywhere he goes, there's there are fans that play for him. There are players who play for him that just rave about him. But it takes a special kind of player, I think, to be able to deal with 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 Daryl and and his approach. 
And the more modern player doesn't seem to have that flexibility. You know, you go back, if you were to sit down with uh, Robin Regeer, or uh, Rhett Warner, uh, Craig Conroy, Jerome McGinley, and a whole bunch of other players that were part of that uh, Flame team uh, in 04, 03, 04, and for some years beyond that, they have nothing but, uh, you know, praise mm-hmm. with the way that Daryl uh, handles them and the preparation that he had for them as players. And even though there were times that they, he probably pushed them a little harder than they would have liked, they, they didn't seem to mind that uh, all that much. So uh, that is, but it's a different era of player today. Uh, you know, yeah. they, um, they, they seem to be, they're making probably as much money now as they made back in those days, but now they feel they have more of a reign. If uh, you're not satisfied with something, you can, you know, complain about it, and move on to another team. So uh, it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that Daryl has, uh, has left the flames. He's going to make lots of money this year, not to work with the uh, two years that he still had left on his uh, contract. But I would doubt that Daryl will coach again in, in the NHL, which, uh, but oh, having said that, Babcock now is back as a coach in the NHL where he's going to be uh, working with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets for the, on, on a two-year contract, which is interesting because most mm-hmm. coaches coming into a job want at least a three-year contract and some want four or five years. Of course, uh, Babcock with Toronto is coming off an eight-year contract in which they had to pay him for a bunch of years when he wasn't working uh, until that finally evaporated on uh, June the uh, 30th. So, he goes to Columbus on a, on a two-year contract. And if Johnny Goodrow uh, left Calgary because he didn't like the way he was been treated by Daryl, now he has bad. Now he has uh, another guy with a similar type of approach to players uh, coaching him in uh, Columbus. Although, uh, you know, Babcock has said he's, uh, he's uh, not quite as, uh, not going to be quite as uh, uh, adverse as he was in the uh, past. But if you like to ask Mike Commodore, he's uh, got nothing but bad <laughs> things to say about having played for uh, playing for Babcock at a couple of locations in the, uh, in the NHL. So anyway, we'll see how that one all works out. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the exact even yes, but you're right. He, he would have an opinion. Um, I just want to come back to Matt Phillips for a second, Pete, and then I'm going to take us on a little bit of an awkward journey, but bear with me. Cause I think it'll make sense. I said off the top of the show, I, I would have fully understood if the Calgary Flames had given Matt Phillips a two-year full, full ride NHL deal one way and said, you know, we, we love him. He's a local guy. Like, I get almost the theatrics of it, right? That we want to prove to you that we've moved on from the last administration. We want to prove to you that, you know, being a Calgarian has got value. And I, like, like I, you can make that case for me. If they didn't, and I think that's the prudent thing, but it it does bring us to another Calgarian who we, the last time we talked, which was three weeks ago, you brought his name up and he got the phone call from Lanny McDonald. And that was a story of a young boy comes and, and makes it good in his hometown with Mike Vernon finally getting the call to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was a real, uh, I was actually on a flight going to New Brunswick on that uh, particular uh, day. And it wasn't until I arrived that uh, I got the word that uh, Mike had been uh, voted into the Hockey Hall of Fame and getting the call from Lanny McDonald, of course, was the chairman of the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame, welcoming him to the, the hall. And, of course, they're going to have the induction coming up in uh, November. And I think what helped Mike, I think he should have been in there before now. He shouldn't mm-hmm. have had to wait 12 or 14 years, whatever it was, uh, to get in there. I don't think, no, he wouldn't have been a first ballot uh, Hall of Famer in my book, but and he wasn't. But um, I think what helped was that there were a lot of uh, people 
um, you know, media people that were uh, pointing out to the Hall of Fame selection committee and uh, the public as well, the fact that uh, there had only been seven goalies uh, that had been inducted into the Hall of Fame in the previous 30 years. And, you know, when you say you can't win a Stanley Cup unless you've got a good goalie, uh, you know, that that really, uh, you know, resonated, uh, you know, having only seven in 30 years inducted into the Hall of Fame. And so as a result, uh, this year's class is going to have three goalies in there. Mike will be joined by uh, Tom Barrasso and uh, Henrik Lundqvist. Lundqvist, a first ballot Hall of Famer. I thought Tom Barrasso, like Vernon, should have been selected earlier yeah. on, considering yeah. their uh, their great work that they uh, they put in as uh, as goaltenders. But, you know, the thing with Mike, uh, you know, I go back to, uh, to when the Flames drafted him, actually. And, you know, you looked at him and here he was, this about five foot seven or five foot eight, somewhere or nine or somewhere in that range, weighing about 170 pounds, very, very small. And, um, you know, you wonder, gee, can he be a star in the NHL? And it took him a little while. He served some time in, in, in the uh, minors before he, in the 1985-86 Flame season. You know, it's interesting to note that Flame team went to the Stanley Cup final. But what a lot of people have forgotten is that team lost 11 straight games during the regular season. And the goalie that came up from the minors that ended that was Mike Vernon. Mm -hmm. And even though he ended that streak and he won a couple of other games in there, he later was sent back down to the American Hockey League and then was brought up just before the start of the 1986 Stanley Cup playoffs. And, of course, uh, he came Right in and, and uh, was a big reason the Flames upset the Edmonton Oilers yep. in that uh, playoff series that year as he was better than Grant Fewer. Both of them put on uh, great goaltending. That was a time of uh, the NHL being more of a high-scoring NHL. So you look at their goals against average and they're saying, gee, it's pretty high compared to what we see now. But that was the year it was. These guys would make the big saves when they had to make them. And Mike certainly uh, did that in uh, in. Uh, propelling the Flames to victory over the Oilers and then getting them on to the uh, Stanley Cup final before he and uh, Patrick Waugh uh, were the goaltending uh, duel. Uh, Patrick, of course, and Vernon both were rookies at the time, and uh, Patrick outdueled Mike in that. But Mike then uh, was uh, solidified as an NHLer, and of course in 88-89, when the Flames uh, went on and won the Stanley Cup, Mike was a big, big reason for that. When I when I go back and look at that uh, playoff mm -hmm. series in the very first round against Vancouver, oh, Vancouver yeah. was uh, very much a, a large underdog going into that series. Uh, they took that series to seven games, and game seven went into overtime. And Mike Vernon stopped three breakaways in the overtime period. Uh, Stan Smeal had one of them. There were a couple other guys at breakaways, and he came up with outstanding saves before finally uh, Joel Otto uh, scored the goal that gave the uh, Flames the victory in uh, Game 7, almost the end of that first overtime period. I believe it was at 19-14 or something like that. Uh, and then the Flames, of course, uh, you know, they went on to win uh, two more series. Uh, and uh, then the Stanley Cup Final came on against uh, Montreal. As again, it was a duel, Mike against uh, Patrick Waugh as the uh, two goaltenders. And in that one, it was Mike outdueling Patrick in a in that one. And, you know, it was interesting. A, a couple of years ago, I was talking to Terry Chris. Terry was the coach of that Flame team that, uh, that won the Stanley Cup in 89. And he said to me, he said, you know, he said, it wasn't long ago for the first time I watched the video of that last game that we played in Montreal against the Canadians. And he said, if it wasn't for Mike Vernon, we wouldn't have won that game. He was so good. And, you know, at the end of it, uh, he almost won the most valuable player award uh, for the Stanley Cup playoffs that year. In fact, he lost by one vote to teammate Al McInnes uh, for that award. So um, although he didn't get it in 89, he would get it in 97. 
when he was playing with the uh, Detroit Red Wings and put on a tremendous performance in the uh, the Red Wings Stanley Cup run that year as the Red Wings won their uh, their first cup in, in uh, 40 years and uh, or 30 years and uh, he was a key element of that uh, with his uh, goals against average. His win loss record was 16 wins and four losses. He had a uh, he had a goals against average of 1.46 and ended up winning the most valuable player award as a result of uh, that strong performance he made in in the playoffs that year. Then went on to have uh, you know continued uh, outstanding play. And then, of course, he came back to Calgary at the uh, end of his career uh, when he was uh, when he was play, he had played with Florida, and they decided uh, they weren't going to protect him, and he ended up uh, coming to the Flames again. And uh, that was a tough time for Mike coming up, you know. And I can almost I can almost say with certainty that he didn't want to come back and play for the Flames because one of the issues that that was going on when he was uh, with the Flames, mm-hmm. not in the Stanley Cup year, but in the 92, 93, those seasons when the team wasn't so good. Mike, of course, was still the number one goalie. And, uh, you know, the odd time they score a goal against him and his parents got to a point where they couldn't come to the games anymore because the fans knew where they were sitting and they'd be yelling at them, obscenities and all this sort of thing. And Mike, of course, uh, wasn't very happy with that and ultimately moved on and had that great success later with uh, with uh, Detroit. But he did came back to uh, finish his career here and it was fitting that the uh, Flames retired as number 30 uh, right up there in the rafters a few years ago. And I'm sure now they'll have a big celebration for him, a night for him, uh, after he's inducted into the Hall of Fame in uh, November. So certainly looking forward to uh, that. He went to four Stanley Cup finals in his uh, NHL career. And uh, certainly it's um, a great, great uh, uh, tribute that he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame now, are going to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame this year. Pete, uh, speaking of, of former Flames, and since we last spoke, uh, we found out that Ryan Huska is the new head coach, which wasn't a surprise, but Mark Savard finds his way back to the organization. Yes, that was very interesting. That was a real interesting uh, uh, deal that brought him back to the Flames organization. And I think the fact that he had uh, such a strong uh, uh, associate uh, affiliation rather with uh, Jerome McGinley and Craig Conroy uh, briefly uh, had a lot to do with uh, that fact. Uh, you know, he was uh, Jerome Setterman in mm-hmm. the early 2000s before he got traded away. And uh, I did hear uh, Craig Button, who was the general manager of the Flame team that traded him away uh, on uh, TSN not all that long ago, uh, make the comment that um, he was talking about how the problem that Mark Savard had with the uh, then coach of the uh, of the uh, Flames and uh, the fact that there there was a there was an issue there, and so Craig traded uh, Mark Savard uh, at that particular point in time. But he he says now he said he would he and then later not so long after that he had to fire the head coach of the uh, Flames whose name comes to Greg Gilbert. To mind here. Yeah, there you go. We got it. Yeah, and uh, Craig had made uh, the comment on the on TSN that he wished he had to fire the coach rather than let Mark Savard go as uh, he had a great chemistry with uh, with Jerome. And so I think that has a lot to do with why Mark Savard is back with the Flames. He's had some uh, coaching experience in the head coaching scene and also the head uh, assistant coaching in the NHL and some head coaching uh, work as well uh, uh, elsewhere. So this is, a, you know, he, he's a smart, smart hockey player who had his mm-hmm. career end earlier than it should have. Uh, because of uh, concussions that uh, he had he had suffered through the course of his career, and of course he was a member of that Boston team that won the Stanley Cup in 2011, even though he didn't play because of those uh, concussion issues. So 
great to see Mark Savard back in the uh, flame fold in the assistant uh, coach's role. Elsewhere, Pete, um, it has been, and we talked about it off the top in regards to the Flames, but it, it applies to the rest of the league. It has been a very interesting couple of weeks and a very interesting couple of days in free agency. Um, but we are seeing some interesting things out there. One of them ha- is the Nashville Predators. Moving on, moving on's the wrong word, I think. Uh, David Poyle's been there since day one. He's retiring, stepping in as Barry Trotz, who's, you know, an, an early guy in the in the history of the Nashville Predators. He takes over as GM, but he is certainly not letting grass grow under his feet as he appears to be. Re- I don't think rebuilding is the right word, Pete, but reshaping is the word you're using. Yeah, there's no question. He's, he's definitely reshaping the Nashville Predators coming in as GM after a highly successful run as a, as a coach with a number of teams in the uh in the NHL and, you know, right off the bat, uh, you know, he talks about wanting to change the chemistry on the team. And as a result, um, Matt Duchesne is gone. Ryan Johansson is gone. Both of those players are pretty good hockey players. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were some, there were some rumbles about them not being the greatest team players uh, that that you could have. And uh, as a result, um, even though uh, Trotz did have some uh, positive things to say about them after uh, moving them on, but, um, you know, he, he uh, did say that he wanted to change some of the chemistry. And as a result, uh, Ryan O'Reilly uh, going there with a four-year contract at a, at a value of $18 million after Toronto was trying very hard to uh, keep yeah. Ryan uh, O'Reilly in their uh, camp because they liked what he brought to the team in the latter stages of uh, this the past season. And a bit of a surprise, too, was Luke Shen, the defenseman uh, who had been with the uh, Maple Leafs, and they were trying to re-sign him as well. Uh, but he signed a two-year contract at 2.75 uh, per uh, season. Uh, uh, and it was interesting to note that he's 33 years old. He's bounced around quite a bit, but he's considered a very strong character player. That he's making more money with that contract than he made in the last three years combined. So, um, so definitely it was a guy that uh, Nashville wanted to have as a uh, guy to help out on their defense core as well as work with some of their uh, younger players. So, yeah, big, big surprise there that um, – that he was able to sign such a good deal with uh, with that team. And as a result, Toronto was unable to match it to keep him as well. Well, speaking of Toronto, it's not like Brad Treliving went over there and was some sort of shrinking violet either. He's kind of picked up where he <laughs> left off. The man does like a good deadline. Yes, he does. No question about that. I mean, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of puzzled at some of the moves that he made uh, mm-hmm. the, over the last few days. You know, and one of them one of them is Max Domi. Now, Max Domi is a guy you watch play. He's a pretty good player and all that sort of thing. He grew up in Toronto. His father was a former Maple Leaf as well as some other NHL teams. But, you know, to me, I was interesting to note that, you know, here's a guy who is playing now with his seventh NHL team in eight years at the age of 28. Usually if you're at 38 and you've played with uh, seven teams in the NHL, that would be considered uh, a lot. But uh, they, they brought him in. And, uh, you know, last year he scored 20 goals and playing uh, uh, 80-some games uh, with Chicago and later on with uh, Dallas. And, uh, you know, it surprised me the fact that he's moved around so much. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they say positive things about him, but you really have to wonder a guy moving on like that. It was also interesting uh, that the uh, the signing of uh, uh, Ryan Reeves uh, by uh, Brad Tree Living and, and the Maple Leafs and signing him to a a three-year contract at 1.75 per year, that takes him to age 39. 
And this is another guy that's bounced around with a whole bunch of uh, NHL teams, including a couple of them that he played with uh, last year. So that, to me, is another puzzlement. The other puzzlement uh, with the Maple Leafs was signing John Klingberg uh, to a uh, one-year contract worth $4 million after he had himself just a terrible season uh, over the uh, the past year. He had, you know, he has a pretty good career prior to that. But basically, when you look at the Maple Leafs, he'd be a third-pairing defenseman and to be paying him four million bucks to me seems a little bit high, but uh, you know, Brad Tree Living is is a guy that's been around the NHL now for a while, so uh, you know we'll wait and see how that all pans out. So, but he has, a, you know, obviously a good eye for talent. But those three signings to me really, uh, really were complexing, uh, considering the circumstances that I just mentioned. Well, and and you can add in there Bertuzzi is not complexing. It I get it. Yeah, it's another one. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a one year deal, but. And he's he's yeah. betting on next year. I get that part. Um, yeah, exactly. But they also have some business to take care of, and and you know William Nylander's part of that business. Like, do they still have the ability to keep those guys? But you look at the salary cap situation and that sort of thing. I can't see how they can keep uh, Michael Nylander. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, William Nylander. I think of Michael. That's his father. Yes, who uh, played with the Flames, and actually exactly. William was born here in Calgary. So uh, he scored 40 goals last year, an outstanding season, and they're going to have to pay him a lot of money going uh, forward. And, you know, they've got Marner in there and uh, the uh, uh, Matthews. You know, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens. I mean, uh, Nylander would be a great addition to the Flames. And Maple Leafs, um, you know, maybe they could lose some help on defense. Uh, all over Hanneman, who is a guy that the Flames uh, are apparently looking at trading, uh, seems to want to play only for a U.S. team. So that uh, might negate that. But uh, I don't know if Nylander will wind up here, but I think he's going to wind up somewhere uh, as his uh, NHL career c- continues. And a pretty good pickup. He's not, you know, he's not the most um, he's not the most uh, vicious player out on the mm-hmm. ice, but he certainly is a highly, highly talented individual. And his father was the same. He was a very, very talented, high-skilled centerman. And, uh, you know, the corners were something that he only went to once in a while. (laughs) Maybe if he dropped the paycheck there, he'd go there. Yeah, he might. Um, Speaking of players that are looking for new homes and speaking of defensemen, and, I, you know, we had Eric Dahachek on last week, and and we're scratching our heads. Pete, I'm hoping you have some insight on where Eric Carlson could end up. Like, I just don't get it. Well, I know why they. I know why he'd like to go somewhere else because he'd like to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup, and that's Absolutely. not going to happen with San Jose. And I know why San Jose would like to move him on because he makes way too much money with what four years left on his uh, his contract. And um, but who? What team? As we talked about earlier, the the salary cap is only going up by a million this year, and some teams have already made enough moves to get themselves right to the salary cap level and uh you know this is a this is a guy that unless san jose is willing to pick up maybe if san jose would be willing to pick up 50 percent of his uh, salary then there might be a team like uh that could uh, take him uh i think that uh, carolina is one team not to rule out on that they Mm. seem to be interested in that type of player but that would give them two very old defensemen uh, on uh, that team Uh, brett burns being a guy who uh, went there last year had himself an outstanding season uh, even though he's uh, aging as well. But uh, Carlson, you know, he won the Norris Trophy. He's a top defenseman in the league last year, putting up numerous uh... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Points. And, um, you know, he was a guy that defensively he does have some... Uh, he does have some issues, but um, no question there'd be a lot of teams like him. Now, you hear some rumbles out of Edmonton that maybe they'd like to uh, add him to the roster, but I think they have salary cap issues as well. But if they were able to get him and to have him moving the puck forward to those two uh, giants that they have up front, McDavid and Dreisaitl, it certainly would make the, uh, the Oilers uh, a real difficult team to beat uh, down the road. So, no, I got no... No insight as to where he's going to go, but uh, you know I wouldn't rule out Carolina, Edmonton. I'm not so sure they've got to move. They'd have to move a bunch of money in order to get him. And I think San Jose, I believe they only want to pay 20, 25 percent of his salary in exchange in a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they may have to up that to 40 or 50 percent uh, if they want to move him and uh, you know get get some value back in in return that they can help them down the road as they get back trying to be contenders in the NHL. The landscape is just it's. So weird um, compared to what we're used to. And in in many ways, it feels like a lot of this stuff is just coming home to roost now. All of these big long-term deals, big money deals, and now we're at a choke point. And there's a whole bunch of teams, including the Calgary Flames, you know, that want to do something. But with who? Like, who yep. wants to go to Arizona? Who wants to go to Chicago right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, well, Chicago made some interesting moves as well here. They did too, uh, didn't they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> bringing in uh, Corey Perry. Now, there's no problem with bringing in Corey Perry, but uh, to give him a $4 million contract, I mean, to me, that was just absurd. But, uh, you know, they've got, you know, they've got Connor Bedard coming in and they got a bunch of other young players there. And there's no question that the Corey Perry is a guy that can be a great influence on those young guys as they, uh, mm-hmm. become uh, National Hockey League regular players. So I can see from that standpoint of uh, bringing him in there, but paying him $4 million for one year is an awful lot of money. It's a huge raise of what he made uh, the last few seasons, uh, for that matter. Uh, but, uh, you know, you look at it another way from uh, from the standpoint of the uh, of the Blackhawks, perhaps he plays with them for the uh, season up until the deadline, 
and he's been a great impact for the young guys and all that type of thing up to there. And then at the deadline, maybe there's a team looking for him yeah. to try to help out, thinking they can win the Stanley Cup. And so they, they make a move with them there where they can help their future. And the salary uh, that uh, would be going the other way wouldn't be nearly as much as $4 million for the duration of the season. And, of course, they also signed Nick Foligno to a one-year contract at, at $4 million. And, again, you have to question that. He was a guy that really struggled a lot over this uh, past season. But he's mm-hmm. another guy who's a strong character. And you have to think that was uh, the motivation behind the Blackhawks bringing he into the organization as well with the young players, even though they're not going to go anywhere this year for sure. Um, just, I guess, a couple things before we get to Stanley Cup predictions, because, you know, it's July. Uh, <clears throat> and we do have a little bit more to deal with the local hockey heroes. But one last one on free agency, and that is the Ottawa Senators seem to be a little bit caught in the crosshairs here for some. They have Alex Debrinkit, who they want to get rid of, um, and they'd like to get. Uh, Tarasenko, who's a free agent, who I understand Pete fired his agents this morning. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's there, there's still drama out there. <laughs> yeah, the Tarasenko one is really puzzling. I mean, he he goes into free agency on July 1st with his pre- previous agent, and now he fires him and brings in another agent. J.P. Barry is part of that uh, group. Mm-hmm. Of course, J.P. used to live here in uh, in Calgary. And, uh, and uh, incidentally, he's from New Brunswick to uh, start with. And uh, <laughs> I, know, I know his father. I knew oh. his father who passed away a number of years ago. But anyway, it was really strange that, uh, you know, you'd, you'd get yourself into free agency. You're four days into it, and now you're firing your agent. You're bringing new ones in. So now the negotiation starts all over again. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where he winds up. Certainly the Rangers, I think, would like to have had him come back, mm-hmm. but they don't have enough money under the cap to bring uh, him in there. And uh, they've got enough overage forwards anyway. I mean, they're, they think they've got seven forwards over the age of 30 uh, yeah. with the New York Rangers. So, and a young defense to go with that. So, um, yeah, so I, where Tarasenko is going to wind up is another, you know, another interesting, perhaps Carolina might be one. Again, uh, yeah. They seem to make things happen there in Carolina, and they think they can be a Stanley Cup team this year again. So that that would be one to watch real close. Speaking of Stanley Cup, uh, I know it's, you know, 11 months off, but do we have favorites yet based on the last couple weeks? Well, it was interesting. The score, uh, they came up with the early Cup favorites, and they list the favorites as being Colorado and Toronto. So hmm. by their standard, they figure Colorado and Maple Leafs are going to be in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, they also noted that uh, just below them were the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, then they mentioned New Jersey and Carolina, followed by Vegas and Boston. And uh, I'm not so sure about uh, Boston. I, I think that they could drop off this year, uh, uh, having lost some very solid veteran to players. Bergeron certainly will be being lost unless he decides to come back, but the indication seems to be not. Um they list the Flames and the, as uh, and the Los Angeles Kings as eleventh place team hmm. to win the Stanley Cup. So that puts them above the middle of the pack. Now they're basing that on the current roster that the Flames have. Now okay. the Flames roster, I think, is going to be much different when it gets to October the eleventh, uh, when the regular season uh, gets going. But that's where they have um, that's where they have based the uh, Flames at this point. Uh, tied with the Los Angeles Kings in the number 11 spot to uh, out of uh, 32 teams. And so, you know, another interesting fact here is that, uh, Rob, the last, the last six Stanley Cup winners did not have a 100-point player, but all of them had a solid defense anchor. 
When you go back last year with Vegas, they had uh, Alec Petrangelo. Colorado had Kale McCarr, and uh, Tampa there had Victor Hedman. So when you uh, you know people say you got to have a great centerman, it seems more like you need to have a great defenseman. And also, of course, it uh, also helps a whole lot if you've got a, a great goaltender going in there as well. So, yeah, I mean, well, based three, on all that, we'll see what happens uh, come uh, next June. All three of those teams would have had really good offensive players, right? Yeah, yeah. But but not good offensive balance. But not dry, not dry Seidel or McDavid or you know or, or that type of generational player. The defense, you know. Again, you and I sat in awe and watched Nick Lidstrom for all those years, and he was just on a he, – he's – you know, you saw Bobby Orr. I saw a bit of Bobby Orr. We saw Ray Bork. We saw Al McInnes. But Nick Lidstrom was the closest thing we've seen to a generational defenseman. In, no in question. Life, I mean, he was, right? he was so automatic. I mean, so many oh. things that he could do out on the ice oh. were absolutely phenomenal. He had the great hands. He had the good legs. He had the great knowledge of the game. Uh, outstanding. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Uh, somebody was asking me recently if I, uh, about uh, McDavid, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I all, you know, I was mentioning the fact that he's a highly colorful player to watch with his great speed and what he can do. And, you know, they said, does he compete? Does he, uh, remind you of anybody? And he said, the player he really reminds me of is Bobby Orr. Hmm. A different position, obviously, but yep. Bobby could do some tremendous things at high speed. I mean, I was marveled watching him do things at high, high speed, so tremendous. And you watch McDavid, he's a lot of that in him as well. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty big praise for McDavid to be compared to Bobby Orr, who was a guy who, in my view, we got cheated out of because he had to end his career so early because of his uh, knee injuries and that sort of thing. Because he could have gone on, if he in today's age, with all the medication medication they have and, and the medical treatment and all that, he could have gone on to play another 10 years and it would have excelled all through that particular point in time. So, But, uh, but fact check uh, me on this part, Pete. Fact check me on this. Because I remember Bobby, but I also believe Bobby played in an area in which, you know, coaches would tell their teams, you got to slow them down. So hit them, chop them, do whatever. I wonder, was Bobby's knee injuries a result of liberties that were taken on him in a different era? I believe that had something to do with it. Uh, there's no question about that. I mean, he had... Uh, so many surgeries on that, on that knee uh, that I think a lot of that had to do with the whacking and hacking that was uh, going on. But, uh, you know, he, he still do it at high speeds. Even near, you know, I watched him the last, basically the last time I watched him was in the, uh, the, uh, the series that they had in, uh, was it 76, the uh, Canada yes. cup or whatever yes. it was. I mean, yes. that, that basically was the last real series that he played in. I mean, he was outstanding there. And, uh, you know, he, then his career ended soon after that. I mean, he was still doing great things, even though he'd been through all of these various surgeries and limping around uh, off the ice and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of that had to do with the uh, with the treatment he was getting from the opposing teams trying to slow him down. But they, they had a hard time slowing him down. And very the only way they slowed him down is at the end of his career early. Yeah, no, and 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 I I love that analogy of him and McDavid. I like that one. Really makes me scratch my head and go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because of, you know, everybody wants to go Lemieux and Gretzky. He's not like Gretzky. Gretzky's not like McDavid. Nope. It, they're they're nope. not. Um, but Gretzky even took some hellacious abuse, and so did Mc, uh, so did Lemieux. That 
God bless him that, that McDavid doesn't have to take. And I'm not, I know, I know, I know you'll get Oiler fans upset about the Philadelphia <laughs> incident and stuff like that. But you and I would both agree, Pete, that, you know, my God, Jerome McGinley was targeted, you know, early in his career and things like that. There's, there's far less of that egregious, you know, knuckle dragging two minute a, a night guy coming over the boards to fall on your best player stuff that we used to see. Yeah, we don't see nearly nearly as much of that. We see a little bit of it now, but nowhere yeah. near what like uh, back in uh, back in those days when when uh, Ginla. You're right, Ginla. I mean, he was whacked and hacked and run over several several times. Uh, but nowadays, I mean, there are some times when uh, there's a there's some damage done to some players or attempts to have some damage done to some mm-hmm. players, and some players actually did get injured, couldn't play. But it doesn't happen nearly nearly as much as it didn't before. I mean, each team in back in those days had three or four really tough guys that were out there to do that sort of thing. Now, if you got one, you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're a rarity in, in the NHL. So, um, yeah, it's a whole different era yeah. from the standpoint of the way the game is approached and how players are defended against by uh, players on the opposing team. Yeah, but so. you're right about the ability to, to work at high speeds. That's a great comparison. I like that comparison a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. No, there's no question. Gretzky and Lemieux. I mean, there and Mary, or Mario Lemieux. They were they were guys that had immense talent, great hands, and great mind for the game of hockey. Uh, but they uh, they they were guys that uh, didn't have the speed, but they had everything else going for them, and they had some good protection in some cases uh, from teammates on on their uh, particular teams. But uh, they they certainly didn't have the speed that McDavid has. And to me, and the, uh, I might have Flame fans go against me here, but uh, to me. He is a guy that uh, is worth the price of admission all by himself. Just what he shows you uh, through the course of a 60-minute game. Uh, I, I agree. Generational for sure. And I think that the NHL's the, the one guy, and I, I know we're down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and I'll, I'll, I promise I'll stop after this. <laughs> I still wonder to this day what we saw from Eric Lindros. Did we see the full, you know, the Scott Stevens hits, on him and and the concussions and things like that. Yeah. I, yep. you know, he, he was a great, he, he had some of the greatest power forward seasons we've ever seen, but they were short, like two or three years. Right. Like, I just wonder. Yeah. 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 Short. No question about it because of that heavy hitting and all the toll that that took on them. They didn't allow them to have the full capacity careers that they would have had. And they had not had all that, uh, you know, hitting on them uh, uh, during the uh, times that they were great players in the career. But even despite that, they were able to put up some very, very good numbers oh, yeah. before finally it, it gets exhausted them. So then yeah. the injuries took their toll and they couldn't play anymore. Like it, uh, you know, but you know, you look back on with the flames, they had Theo Fleury, who was, just a little guy and he would uh, take lots of punishment out on the ice and he'd still uh, put up great, great numbers and went on to have a very, very long career uh, in the NHL. And as we talked about the last time, I think he, he should have, he should be in the hockey hall of fame. And I, I think I mentioned before uh, yeah. when Paul Correa went into the hall of fame, that's when I said Jerome belongs in there or Theo belongs in there. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, because his numbers are better. His, his uh, career was better than Paul Correa. Not that there's anything wrong with Paul's, but Theo or uh, Theo had a lot, uh, not a lot, but he had a better, better numbers and a uh, more successful career with more championships uh, down the line than Paul Correa did. But we'll have to wait and see whether or not he eventually uh, gets into the hall. In fact, I saw him about four days before they had the vote, ran into him at the Cottonwood uh, golf course. And I said, well, next Wednesday's uh, the big day. And he kind of looked at me 
said not he said i don't have my hopes built too high so uh, and again he wasn't uh he wasn't selected which to me is uh, unfortunate but uh hopefully in the uh, in the future he will uh get himself enshrined into the hockey hall of fame pete he was a, a to that trend we were talking about of of runs at star players though Theo was a bit of a porcupine, wasn't he? Like, if you were going to take a run at Theo, he was going to make sure you paid a price. Like, the stick, you know, like, Theo was a porcupine. You paid a price for trying to play him tough, didn't you? Yes, you did. You're absolutely right. Because he he would, despite his small size, he was a guy that would be a battle out on the ice. He'd hit you back and do that sort of thing. And I remember he, I remember, oh, I forget what year it was, but it was going back five or six years now when Johnny Goudreau was here and uh, Theo met him in the hallway near the Flames uh, dressing room. And I, I well remember Theo saying to him, he said, you know, you should go out and hit guys before they hit you because then they'll leave you alone, or at least you won't have to put up with much as uh, as you did. And he went back, we were going back on his career, where he yep. would hit first, and yep. uh, he'd get hit, but he hit first, and then he hit back again, so uh, he just, just went on and on, and that's why he had such a great uh, career. And uh, Goodrow, it's going to be interesting to see now how he goes with uh, Columbus having a little better team uh, going into this upcoming season. Well, back uh, to the local hockey heroes to finish off here today, Pete, and that is uh, I don't think that they drafted any Connor McDavid's or Nick Lidstrom's, um, you know, but the Flames under Craig Conroy did go through the process of drafting players and and now will open a development camp, the first for Craig Conroy as a GM. Um, it's an important couple of weeks here for the development of the next wave. Yes, there's no question. They, they get underway tomorrow with that uh, development camp out at uh, Winsport. And, uh, you know, there's 38 players that are going to be out there on the ice uh, during the uh, during those sessions that they're having. Perhaps the only one that could be a possible guy that would be in the flame lineup for this uh, upcoming season is uh, Matt Coronado, yeah. uh, who's a guy that saw play one game with the Flames this past season after uh, finishing his career with uh, Hartford, uh, Harvard, rather. Harvard uh, University, and then uh, signing a contract with the Flames. I think he's got a pretty good chance uh, to make the uh, Flames team, and he may be the only one that's in this class that's uh, out mm-hmm. at the Winsport uh, starting uh, tomorrow that uh, will be with the team uh, this coming season, but certainly it's a great grooming ground for these young guys uh, to get some uh, attention from the NHL coaches. And What I really liked about it was that uh, they split up in, in two uh, groups, and uh, they recognized the two greatest goaltenders the Flames have had in their history, uh, Mike Vernon, Team Vernon, and uh, Team Kiprasov, or uh, Mika Kiprasov. And I firmly believe if Mika Kiprasov had played more seasons, he'd be a guy that would be a strong candidate for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, unfortunately, he had a he had a very strong seven-year career yep. uh, with, the, with the Flames, but uh, he didn't play much prior to that when he was with San Jose. He was in the minors. He was number three goalie on their list at one point. But it, I think that there's never going to be another NHL goaltender that is going to play 70-plus games six years in a row, as Mika Kiprasov did here. Uh, with the Flames, and uh, you know, he's. Uh, I think the Flames wanted to honor him, but he's kind of a he's kind of a shy guy for that uh, sort of thing. I remember yeah. he was back here a few years ago, might have been four years ago, maybe five years ago, for a game at the uh, Saddle Dome, and he was in the owner suite. And I think he had a couple of uh, a couple of drinks beforehand, and they uh, showed him up on the uh, jumbotron. Then they showed a whole bunch, a series of great saves 
that he made for the uh, Flames over the course of his career. And then they, uh, they showed him on the Jumbotron. He waved and that sort of thing. And then the game started, and whoever the Flames are playing, it's the very first shot that David Riddick got went in. And I think here he is. He watched all these great saves and then lets in a, uh, an easy, an easy goal. So, um, but he was, well, Mika Kiprasov, uh, boy, that uh, run that he had with this flame team uh, is phenomenal. And uh, unfortunately he didn't want to play any longer. He just wanted to go back home and fish in his native uh, Finland. And apparently enjoys himself back there. It was interesting. One time he was, was the goalie coach for the Finnish team in the, uh, World Junior Championships, I believe it was, or maybe it was the World Championships, I forget which. And that surprised me a little bit because Mika yeah. didn't strike me as a guy who would be a coach, but uh, but a great, great guy and an outstanding, outstanding goaltender. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about Hall of Fames today and, you know, Mike Vernon going in. We talked about local products and, you know, there's something intriguing about sport. And you know this, being a Yankees fan or, or being a fan of other teams, there's there's the hall of fame, there's the, the league honors, and then there's the team honors, but then there's always those guys that are just important to the fans and, and, and the other, you know, nobody else will appreciate. I don't think anybody in Vancouver or Colorado or Toronto or Winnipeg or Edmonton appreciates what Mika Kippersoff was in Calgary. And, and, and I yeah, would suspect I, that there's players there that I don't, you know, get why they're appreciated, but that kid or that guy, that man, whatever, Day in, day out, like it was incredible. Just was. Yeah. All the saves he were made were phenomenal. I mean, that that run in 04, which you know, we've talked about it sure. before. I firmly believe that run saved this franchise in Calgary because yep. if he hasn't come along, this team had gone eight straight years with no playoffs. And uh in the start of that season, I mean, there weren't seven thousand people in the building. And then as it went on, and then they got in the playoffs and went to the Stanley Cup final, it brought the team back to life. And then the next year, there was no hockey at all because that was a, uh, a lockout by the NHL of all the players. And so, you know, if you've gone eight years, no playoffs, and then no hockey at all, people wouldn't have been dashing back to the uh, Saddle Dome to watch the Flames in, in 2005. So Kiprasov and all the members of that uh, that team certainly uh, should have a big, big boost for their uh, their contributions to the team and the fact that uh, they may have saved the franchise here. Well, we, we started off this conversation today by noting that it's probably the latest we've ever done this kind of hockey conversation, you and I. Um, and now is the time to bid you adieu and, and thank you for everything you did with the podcast here in the second half of the season. And of course, I said it off the top. We'll we'll obviously begin intense negotiations on a, a long-term oh, deal. Hard negotiation, Rob. I just hired a new agent today. You did? Oh, no. Oh, no. You did, eh? Did you? J.P. Barry? J.P. Barry will be calling it tomorrow. J.P. Barry. Yeah, I knew it was J.P. Barry. But, but this one's yeah. a, this offseason's a little weird, Pete. I think that there's going to be hockey news. I think it's turning into a 12-month a year. It used to be 10. Then it became yeah. 10 and a half. Now I think it's going to become 12 months a year. Yeah. And the poor general managers, they used to be able to have August off or most of August off to go away and have a nice vacation and not be bothered. Now they can might be able to go away somewhere, but they have to have the phone with them every single minute of the day. So it's a whole different world. You're right. Used to be not nearly as long as it is, but now it's pretty much 12 months a year thing. So uh, it was my pleasure to uh, work with you here over the uh, second half of this season. And, uh, if you can work a deal with JP, I'll be I, back I, that's, next year. That's it's either you or Hannafin. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. But I don't demand a trade. So okay, you got a, good, you good, got a good. Chance there. You can stay. <laughs> um, 
hit them straight. Uh, and I know you do, but keep hitting them straight. Uh, we'll certainly be in touch. But Pete, again, thank you so much, bud. Take care, Rob. All the very best. Look forward to chatting with us soon. Here he is right there on your screen. The greatest that ever lived, Peter Marr. Uh, seven Hall of Fames we counted at the beginning of the season, um, including honored um, in the Hockey Hall of Fame as a media member, uh, the voice of the Calgary Flames. And he was kind enough to come back when I was thinking about doing this project, uh, this podcast project. When I was contemplating coming back and, and doing this, I called him first. I said, would you, could you, would you think about it? And he said, absolutely. And then Eric Dahachek, absolutely. So those, those are the two cornerstones for me. So, um, and Eric's going to join us on Friday. Eric's going to join us on Friday. Uh, by the way, brought to you, of course, by Ski Seller Snowboards. SkiSellerSnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Now, the four locations that are open in the winter, not open right now, but they'll soon reopen. But if you need something, if you're looking for something, if you're dreaming about something, SkiSellerSnowboard.com. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, I mentioned Eric DeHatchek on Friday. Uh, we, like I think most of the programming here on the Nation Network and uh, the Flames Nation, we're going to uh, gear down a little bit for the summer. Um, we're going to, starting next week, we're going to go twice a week, uh, Mondays and Fridays. Um, and then back after Labor Day, we will kick it back into full gear. Um, having said that, in the event that uh, there is a big issue or big, uh, you know, something coming up, you never you can always count on us to break in. That's what Jack made us do last, what, before the draft, we had to break in to fully trade. So, uh, you know, we're around. But starting next week, Monday and Friday, next Monday, I have only been uttering her name nonstop for the last three or four months. Carla McLeod's going to join us uh, as well. In studio, Tatum Amy. Uh, who, um, you know, won a national championship with Mount Royal uh, and was named the uh, U-Sports Women's Hockey Player of the Year, signed with the Buffalo Buttes, uh, but that league has now been taken over, and and I understand that her contract has been uh, dissolved. So we're going to bring Tatum Amy in to talk a little bit about now what and and what the world of professional women's hockey is going to look like. So that's coming up on Monday. Eric Tahachuk on Friday. Um, before, we're, we got a couple things that I wanted to uh, mention. Don't know if this is significant or not, uh, but the CHL um, European draft was held today, and I thought this was interesting that the Calgary Hitman drafted a Calgary flames prospect. So Alex Hertig, who I believe was the seventh pick by the, uh, the flames is a big uh, uh, Swedish, def uh, Swedish defenseman. I don't know if he's big. I just assume he's big because everybody they drafted was big, but anyway, the uh, Calgary Hitman took him in the CHL European draft today. Um, significant from the standpoint that I think, um, Craig Conn, not that that Brad Treliving didn't, or that uh, Jeff Shanouth with the Hitman wouldn't, um, but it was always that question. There seemed like a period of time there where the Edmonton Oil Kings and the Edmonton Oilers were uh, a little closer and working on, you know, having players drafted by the Oilers in the organization. And it's not uncommon; it's, it's happened before. But um, thought that was uh, maybe the a harbinger of things to come, working a little closer. Um, and again, and I, I defer to. Um, the managing editor of Flames Nation, in this case, Ryan Pike, who put out a tweet that said, uh, this doesn't necessarily mean he's going to play there. It just means that the Hitman own his CHL rights. So uh, and that's worth noting. But that came out today. Um, big story, potentially big story, 
is that Hockey Canada has named Catherine Anderson their next president and CEO. Um, Catherine has spent the last eight years as the, pardon me, the last seven years as the CEO of Curling Canada. She starts September 4th. Um, not much in the way of, well, why, you know, she doesn't start work. So why would she, you know, bring forth a manifesto or positions or anything at this point? So we don't really know a lot about um, where the organization is going. We do know a couple of weeks ago, they announced they'd be hosting a culture summit in September. Um, yesterday, Bauer, uh, upon the news that, uh, that Henderson was taking over, Bauer immediately restarted their sponsorship and partnership with Hockey Canada. Um, again, without public knowledge of what the platform is going to be, what the direction is going to be, where the organization is going. Um, you can read into that what you will. I would hope uh, with a new board, um, which is being led by the Honorable Mr. Fraser, um, I believe Cass Campbell-Pascal, I believe, is associated to that board. Um, you know, they're short-term too, because I think it was a, a one-year term to get that board off the ground. Um, I am hoping that this sport is, at least in this country, um, going to go through a wee bit of a renaissance again, maybe a reset. Um, I don't have to uh, speak directly to hockey parents on this program and talk them talk to them about the challenges, um, of which cost and, and price is one of them, just with equipment and uh, now all of the accoutrements that go with hockey. I, I, I would hope that Miss Henderson would um, seek counsel from all quarters, um, would try to, to have as broad a, um, a perspective on this as possible. I think my vantage point has certainly shown me that, um, hockey Canada became too focused on elite, became too focused on the brand, became too focused on television and you know, being almost the celebrity brand, if you will, uh, and not enough on growing the game and not enough on doing what's right for the game. We did what was economical for the game. We did which was cost effective in some cases or revenue generating. Um, but I'm not sure we've done right by the game. I'm not sure that hockey has is yet as inclusive as it should be. Um, I think we have a lot of players in this in the uh, in the sphere of influence that are trying. Uh, but I think the leadership needs to come from Hockey Canada. Um, I have spoken at length with former employees. I have nothing but respect for people who work there. Um, I have nothing but respect for those who built it. Bob Nicholson um, took it from, you know, what it was to this juggernaut and Scott Smith kind of oversaw it. And then it lost its way and and it completely lost its way. Um I'm a big advocate, obviously, of of youth sport and the importance of it. But I I do tend to, and this is Tom Ferry and the Aspen Institute's um, line, not mine. I do tend to think that our North American sports are um, built for the f the parent, not the child. So I would hope that the incoming president and CEO um, is going to take a real hard look at at the leadership that the sport needs to play. Um, I think you have basketball, you have soccer, you have volleyball, you have other sports, 
badminton, pickleball. There are lots of opportunities out there. And I think you need to be leaders and find a way to work together. Um, but what, I'm very curious, very curious to see if Hockey Canada is recognizable in the next couple of years compared to what it was. Is it going to be about tournaments and is it going to be about selling the t the jerseys and, um, and the Olympic, you know, the men's teams and the women's teams and things like that. Fascinating, fascinating time in the sport right now. A reminder, we are live in the Oodle Noodle studio. We bring the heat, dry the butter chicken mac and cheese, the Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok Pad Thai Classic, vegetarian and gluten options. So it's very friendly for you. Two locations in Calgary, pickup and delivery, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. And don't forget uh, to check out uh, Live from the 55 uh, with Danny Austin, our uh, CFL Stampeder show, which I believe uh, will be dropping tomorrow. And then again on Monday. Um, and I believe the Barn Burner starts its summer schedule next week as well. Um, final mile tonight is, before we let you go, um, <laughs> I want to show you this. We have talked about buildings and we've talked about dreams and we've talked about dreamers. Um, it's it the new buildings coming. We know that and, and everything sounds positive. But I did you see the sphere in, in Vegas? Uh, this has been kicked up here the last couple of days. So uh, this is the new boxing uh, venue. Uh, that's the outside of it. Um, so I believe it seats in the neighborhood of 12 to 14,000. What's the what's the seating, Jack? Is that right? I have no idea. And it's 12 to 14,000. It's for boxing and mixed martial arts. I believe it's a win property in, in Vegas, but that whole video is the outside of it. Looks like a spaceship. It does, doesn't it? Like somebody had the great tweet. This is going to cause thousands of car accidents, right? Because <laughs> people are going to be looking at that. But that is the outside. of. We were all taken aback. When uh, remember when the, the Olympics were in Sochi and the Russians figured out how to put screens on the roofs with the scores and everything, we thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now, look at this bad boy. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Can you imagine that in Calgary? I'd like to. <laughs> Don't you think that'd be fantastic? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the things you could do with it, right? You know? It's $2.3 billion, by the way. Insane. $2.3 billion. The Sphere is up in Vegas. Uh, reminder, starting next week, we are moving our shows to Monday and Friday only for about six weeks till Labor Day. And then once the fall kicks in and everybody goes back to school and hockey starts and you know, we're into football and the whole nine yards, we'll, we'll pick her back up again. Um, do want to thank Peter Marr uh, for all of his help this season uh, for dropping in and being our NHL and Flames insider. We're hoping to have him back in the new year in the new season as well coming up. And speaking of which, Eric DeHatchuk will join us on Friday, I believe in studio as well. Uh, and we'll wrap up his lots to talk about with him. And then next Monday, Carla McLeod and Tatum, Amy, thanks to our two producers today who uh, you don't know how hard they work to put this show on. I do, but you don't know how hard they work to put this show on. RJ and Jack did an outstanding job to you, to all everybody that's been so kind with this program. Thanks for podcasting, listening, streaming, uh, telling some friends about it, writing a review, whatever. It just means the world that you've, you're out there and that we get to work for you. We will see you on Friday with Mr. DeHatchuk. Have a great day, everybody.